0: Welcome to Boringa Energy Innovators Podcast. Today we bring you a series of thought-provoking and current conversation with industry leaders. We will discuss energy transition, energy transformation, and innovation in energy markets in this podcast series. Today in our podcast, we have myself, Eric Lacoutte from Boringa. I'm involved in European hydrogen for Boringa uh, quite deeply. And I'm joined by Martin Kurz and Karina Krastel from EIT Inno Energy. and our Kate Orchard from uh, Beringa as well she leads our global efforts on hydrogen in energy resource practice we will have a conversation on challenges around wide-scale hydrogen adoption we will also look back to the collaboration between Beringa and the and energy on hydrogen and greening of value chains of this particularly in Europe and I do wish you to enjoy the podcast and I sure will do myself The high-level
1: overview of our conversation is uh, we're going to dive into hydrogen context, then talk about the study we did together, looking at various sectors, then do a deep dive into green steel, and then uh, look out to the future. What's next? So before we go there, um, hydrogen and the context, it's quite a bit of a vogue. Uh, Kate, would you like to give your perspective on what are the key context elements
2: Sure. So I, I agree. There's there's there is a lot of hype in 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 hydrogen at, at the moment, but I think uh, I think a lot of it is is justified. Uh, I, I worked at a, an oil and gas major for for a number of years, and, and in 2010 we were looking at hydrogen for the transport sector and ran some pilots, and and it just didn't stick. Um, but I think what's changed since then is the carbon zero carbon aspirations of, of countries and, and corporates and the role that, that hydrogen has to play in, in net zero transitions uh, looking at sort of the the net zero transitions on on a on a very sort of holistic level you, know, you you should be trying to electrify as much as possible and at the same time decarbonize the grid but there are certain sectors where the the decarbonisation is is going to be very hard to achieve through electrification. And you have to look at alternatives. And I think this is where hydrogen has a a huge part to play.
3: Yeah, I I fully agree with what Kate just said. So I think uh, the key, uh, when we look at the overall European strategy of becoming net zero by 2050, uh, carbon neutrality by 2050, we need to see how we could do that. So first goal is to electrify what can be electrified. Um, Because whenever you do an additional conversion step, for example, to hydrogen, you lose efficiency. And from an energy engineering point of view, that's not what you want. So first step is to electrify as much as you can. But then you have those hard to abate sectors that that Kate just mentioned. And those you can't easily electrify because the volumes are just too big. So therefore, you need a molecule. And this molecule initially was natural gas. So in uh, in many areas, we're using natural gas. Um, for those hard-to-abate sectors. And if tomorrow we can do that with hydrogen, that's how we can really achieve a full decarbonization of the economy. And that's why, let's say, hydrogen is often said to be like the sector coupling molecule. And I think uh, this is, this is where, where we'll go. And that's why hydrogen plays a big role.
1: Sector coupling molecule. I like that uh, buzzword. Let's, let's get that one into life. We've done a study uh, together, uh, Boringa in, in, in Energy, on uh, diving deep into a couple of sectors and uh, looking at what uh, European businesses would like to do and need to do uh, in terms of getting up to speed with the uh, integrating green hydrogen. So we, we look together at steel, shipping and heavy trucks. Martin, would you like to tell us a bit more about that study and uh, your uh, key takeaways from this?
4: We are a uh, European uh, public-private partnership and we have the uh, ambition to accelerate the energy transition uh, by means of innovation and then we look at a complete value chain from uh, resources to recycling uh, and one of the first we looked at was in 2017 uh, the European Battery Alliance where we investigated uh, the battery industry in Europe and how we could uh, stimulate that and how we could make it less dependent on uh, outside sources. Um, one of the latest uh, ones is that we are looking at the reshoring of the solar industry. But the one which is most uh, interesting today is that we also uh, started an initiative uh, on increasing the uptake of green hydrogen. Uh, and in that area, or in that light, we also uh, started the study together with, uh, with you, uh, Beringa. Um, maybe yeah, to have a look at the study. Yeah. So uh, the aim from the study was to get insights in a few uh, value chains. Uh, and we chose value chains where uh, we thought green hydrogen could play a role to uh, reduce the uh, emissions. And one of the questions we asked, indeed, uh, Beringa is to map those value chains uh, practically. Uh, which actors are involved? Uh, how many players? Where do they come from? Uh, 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 what type of companies are active in that field, but also where we could expect the most impact in terms of uh, greenhouse gas reductions, Um, but also uh, things like um, which actors in those value chains are the most willing to change. So uh, having an industry like for example, the steel industry uh, and making change there would require a lot of uh, capital uh, investments. What type of players should we approach uh, who are able and willing to make those changes. And that's something which we uh, work together on with Boringa and uh, map those for the different value chains. Yeah, yeah.
1: And uh, of course, uh, by the way, it was really great to, to reimagine that you already had this quite successful uh, experience with uh, the Battery Alliance and helping to kick off battery industry in Europe. And now you've taken that experience and have started the journey on uh on the green hydrogen and uh, deep diving, uh, which players to, to move, I needed to, to move the needle first. Any observations from, from the part of the work around kind of looking at various players, who are the first ones to be approached if you want to move the needle to start uh, scaling green hydrogen?
4: Yeah, I think one of the interesting insights, and I think uh, Karina will elaborate on that also later on when we dive into uh, green steel a bit more, is that one of the insights was that um, when you look at those value chains, that there's more and more a pull from uh, what we call the off-takers or the end consumers for uh, greener produced products. So that, that could be a good um, uh, starting point for the discussions with the complete value chain. Eh? So if there's a demand for products and people are willing to pay a small premium, if you then work smartly together in a value chain, uh, you probably will be able to make the change. Eh? Whereas traditionally, you look to the individual transactions uh, with, with giving for example the steel industry where you need very uh, large investments then the business case probably will never um, uh, be positive but if you take it from the whole value chain approach including already um uh, off takers of your product then you get a whole lot of discussion and then you can share the risk and benefits uh, amongst the value chain and that uh, and there, i think the study also helped us to get insights in how are these value chains organized uh, uh, when we talk about, uh, so we looked at steel, but we also looked at shipping and heavy goods vehicles. Uh, the investment cycles in shipping are completely different than in heavy goods vehicles, uh, where you typically have five to ten years uh, cycles, and in shipping, it starts with 20 years. Uh, if you now buy a ship, um, yeah, the next 20 years it will be in operation. Um, so those type of insights uh, really helped us in uh, in determining where to focus on. And are all ha- also helping us still today when we um, get proposals for new projects to be able to uh, to ask the right questions and to have the right discussions so
1: imagine all those financial investors are listening today and um, uh, if they had to pick a, a winning green hydrogen sector so steel um, heavy trucks or shipping which one would you advise them to look at first based on the Study and your experience?
4: Yeah, I think what you see, for example, in steel at the moment, so steel is quite polluting, and eh? so it, it contributes uh, roughly for eight to nine percent of the total uh, CO2 emissions worldwide. Uh, and it is possible to, uh, uh, to produce it uh, almost uh, carbon free. And I think the interesting part is that it can have an impact on a lot of products. Eh? So uh, it, it's on the automotive sector, it's on the construction sector. It's a lot of um, uh, household appliances, which, which still use a lot of steel. So I think that what Karina also earlier said, if we look to the way, how we produce things, but the same would count for uh, transport things, uh, then, then um, there you can make a big impact. And I think that's also where, where we stand for as a as, uh, Green Hydrogen Acceleration Center, that we try to replicate these projects, eh, that we show uh, that's feasible and that we have a positive business case for such a thing like uh, a green steel factory, uh, and that we also replicate it to, um, uh, to other countries and other industries. Um, so that would be an end end eh? so start, for example, with steel and then see how you could apply it to, for example, fertilizers or uh, cement production. Thank you, Martin.
1: And I, I think we're now uh, about to move uh, to the green steel discussion. You've very nicely introduced it. If I look back to what, uh, what, what, what we heard is that uh, the study really helped to unpack uh, where the first parties to address and off-takers really play a big role. Um, And it's also really important if you're getting into any industry to actually understand how the investment cycle looks like, because it's quite a difference if it's five years or 20 years. Let us then start looking at steel. Karina, would you like to set out the scene what you guys are diving into with steel? I I heard some exciting things.
3: So maybe just to start off a little bit uh, and give a bit of background information on steel. So when we look at uh, the European steel market, we produce today 160 million tons of steel. In approximately 30-80 installations, so all over the European uh, continent. And when you look at a typical, let's say, steel uh, plant, it produces two million. So they're the big ones. So they're the integrated steel plants. They produce two million tons of steel per year. One car, your personal car at home, needs approximately like one ton of steel. So you could imagine, you know, like this one plant uh, produces steel for two million cars. You know, so these are huge, you know, huge numbers. And, uh, it's, and we have in total 160 uh, tons of steel. So you see there is really a big production capacity, a big industry existent that we want to keep in Europe and you want to continue to have in Europe. That's the positive side. But you also have a negative side, which is the emissions that are linked to that. So in Europe, those steel plants that I just mentioned produce 200 million tons of CO2. That is equivalent to approximately all the flights departing from Europe in the EU. So you see, there is really a big problem there. And uh, just to give you a little bit of background information on how, how they produce the steel, there are normally two big routes yeah, that, uh, that are really commonly used. The one is the blast furnace route. That is the one that, pro- that pollutes the most, let's say. Um, and you have the electric arc furnace round that uses um, steel uh, scrap steel, steel and uh, melts it and recycles it. So those are the two, one, two big routes. And so, if you now put yourself in the shoes of a steel manufacturer today that is producing in Europe with those plants, you ask yourself, okay, in future the CO two price will go up. Um, there will be more and more societal pressure. So I need to decarbonize my operations. But how do I do that? I have two options. The first option is to I retrofit my existing plants. If I try to do that. I have uh, several options. I could, for example, inject hydrogen. Uh, I can also do some recycling of the flue gases that go out, but that only reduces my emissions by 10 to 40%. So this is not really, let's say, a lasting uh, solution. It's more of an intermediate uh, fix. But in the long term, what we need to do is we need to change those polluting assets to greener ones. And uh, one solution that exists that is currently explored by a lot of uh, steel manufacturers is the hydrogen uh, bath-based direct production process. And how does that work? Um, Normally um, you use, uh, you have uh, the the pellets and they're reduced normally uh, using natural gas, and you can just replace that natural gas with hydrogen. Green hydrogen, notably, that's important. And if we have green hydrogen uh, to reduce those, um, reduce the iron, uh, the iron ore, then we can have a process that is 100% uh, renewable and green, and reduces the emission really strongly by from let's say two kilo, uh, tons per ton of steel to 0.1, so almost zero. This is kind of let's say the background of the of what we're looking at, the problem we're looking at. And now you could say, okay, uh, why don't all the steel manufacturers go for DRI-based uh, you know, production? You know? Number yeah. one is they have existing assets. Let's say you know? they have existing assets that run, that have to be amortized over the long term, etc. So now the question is, if you're a steel manufacturer today, you know you won't disrupt yourself directly because you need to keep your existing assets running. You know?
2: We talked earlier about uh, marine and. Road transport. How how many years is a, is a st- steel plant built for? Yeah. How does long? Very it? long. Very I'd long. Say
3: Forty years. Fifty years.
1: Would it be fair that every twenty years or so there is probably an opportunity to either uh, invest an upgrade of a steel plant or basically consider something new? And you, you mentioned you know direct uh, reduction iron technology. I mean we are talking hundreds of millions. Uh, potentially at the scale type of capex investments uh, so any any reflection and and maybe karina to give you some time to think i will first turn to kate to ask on this uh, and then I'll come back to you in a moment kate any reflection on how to deal with that huge capex and kind of once in 20 year opportunity from your experience
2: None, none of this is going to happen, whether it's steel or marine or r- road transport, ammonia is going to, you know, we need government intervention. Um, hydrogen is a, a um, you know, it's, it's a premier energy carrier. It's, 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 a, it's got a fantastic set of properties, but as a consequence, it's very expensive. Um, and we we know that um, you know there is hydrogen in infrastructure and hydrogen used in, in these facilities today. And we, we call that grey hydrogen, and it's it's cheap. It's a dollar fifty, two dollars a um, a kilogram, and uh, we 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 can't compete with um, green hydrogen or blue hydrogen at that at, at those levels today. And that's just on an op, you know, that's an opex basis. So, so when we then take into account the the, cap, the capital costs, we, we need a strong push from, from from government that that this is what we need to do that that we that we need to make this transition. I I, I struggle to see um, how far you can take this journey without that government sort of framework and support in place. I think the um, there's, there's there's great pull we're starting to see from from industry and I think Martin and has already talked a little bit about that but I think we need that push and that pull and we need to see them happen in parallel.
1: Very good. And you asked a great question, which Karina hopefully can answer. You know, what can we do without government support?
3: Uh... Yeah, that was a perfect cue, Kate, because <laughs> I would actually argue against it. Uh-huh. Uh, why do I argue against it? Because actually we have uh, our lighthouse project, which is the H2 Green Steel, That is a project of a 5 million ton uh, greenfield stain plant being planned right now in Sweden. Their approach is on the one side on the technology, but on the other side, it's in general about how they manage the project. And I think I'd like to start with the second uh, part first. What I find quite innovative is that, um, and Inno Energy actually we've invested, uh, we were a co-initial investor in that project uh, together with Vargas, who's uh, the big um, uh, key investor of the project. <clears throat> Their goal is to start with the customer. So what did they do? They started to, uh, before doing anything, starting about uh, planning anything on the plant, looking for the site, they started to look at uh, the customers. So they started, for example, conversations with a truck manufacturer who would be an off-taker of the green steel that they produce. And uh, the interesting part there is that if you talk to a truck manufacturer who wants to really have a car that is 100% green and not only in the operational phase but also from the production part, you actually only need approximately 100, uh, several hundred euros more to buy a green steel car than a gray steel car. So when you look at the total cost of a car, that doesn't really add anything to the price and a car manufacturer actually can fully absorb that and pass that on to his end customer and in approaching the project from let's say the off-taker side at the end of the value chain you integrate those extra costs you know the extra cost of hydrogen that everybody always talks about in the overall project and you make it bankable as such another thing that they did is they integrated all potential, let's say players that are important in the overall project into the project itself as a shareholder, as a key partner, et cetera, from the start. And like this, you can build a project based on the real requirements of the customer that is bankable in the end. And then you come to technology, which is also interesting because they're trying to electrify as much as possible uh, in the process. And they like to, as I said before, use direct production uh, processes. Uh, to also integrate hydrogen, so you really have a full, let's say, project that is on the one hand 100% green at scale, and that includes the off taker in the process, and that makes this discussions about extra cost of hydrogen really ne- negligible.
2: If only one in five of the world's 2,000 publicly listed companies is committed to a net zero emissions target, and I see that one in five being the you know, the customers of this steel, what do we do about the other four?
4: It's a combination, as you say. Yeah? So it's indeed we see, we see pool coming uh, and of course, um, uh, as you say, it's not uh, across the whole uh, industry yet, yeah? but I think uh, what we try to do is that we we show that it's uh, even today already commercial viable to use green hydrogen um, but nevertheless, of course, when there will be uh, discussions and also the steel industry is, is fully aware of, of, of carbon pricing and that that will, in the end, of course, uh, help to, to make the massive shift. Uh, but I think the message is that, that even today, there's space for, um, for such projects and, that, uh, and, and that's not only in the, in the steel industry, yeah? we're also talking about Synthetic kerosene, about uh, um, uh, green fertilizers, huh? so or, or using um, green ammonia maybe for shipping. Huh? So what what would be the additional price be on a product for shipping it green from China to Rotterdam? Huh? So that's probably uh, given the the recent um, discussions on the on the Suez Canal huh, where we have a ship with twenty thousand containers on it. Imagine how many products are in that ship huh? if we just uh, make that, uh, ship greener than, then if we can divide that at additional cost over all of those products, then it's probably also the premium is quite limited. Uh, and that type of thinking, of course, uh, st- yeah, stimulated by carbon pricing. Uh, I think that will together the push and the pull will, will make the change happening.
2: And, and actually, I was, I was just going to ask that very question, Martin. Is, is how far can carbon pricing take us? And, and is that a sufficient uh, lever to, to get us where we need to be?
4: And I think what's also interesting, for example, there's a whole discussion on how to use and where to use green uh, energy for. Uh, so energy made from renewables. Uh, so you, you could use it to, to power a data center, uh, which uh, probably five people work in a data center. Or you could say we're going to uh, decarbonize heavy industries, creating a green economy, creating loads of jobs, creating added value. Uh, so I think that's also one of the angles of the discussions, what to do with your, uh, at this moment, still scarce uh, renewable resources. Sir. And then we claim that it's probably makes more sense to create more added value with your renewables uh, instead of using it to, to power a data center. And that could also help to to make the overall business case uh, much more positive.
1: I think there will be a a bit of, perhaps a bit of a struggle between uh, various uh, use cases for the green hydrogen, because maybe it's going to be scarce. Any views on that from Karina or Kate?
3: Yeah, I I think um, in general we'll have probably some scarcity that we'll see around renewables. Because if we look at the overall electrification of a lot of different sectors, be it mobility, just talking about electric vehicles, but then be it industry, be it, let's say, the heating uh, sector, there everybody talks about electrification and will electrify it with renewable energy. So therefore, I think, and and if we look at the scale of, for example, industrial electric, electrification, it's really immense, I, really, we can say that it's immense. Uh, um, and I think we we need to be careful about, that's what we said in the beginning of the podcast, what do we electrify first? And that's why I think what Martin just said is like, where does the real added value come from for our, for our economy? And where do we want to put those renewables? And which are the services we really need? It's a whole other discussion, but that might come at some point. I mean, we're clearly pro-green um, because when you look at like the scale of the, let's say, CCS or the carbon capture and sequestration um, portion of the blue hydrogen part, you would need really a a full, let's say, oil and gas industry that is being re-established to to do that sequestration part of the CO2. And, you know, you need pipelines to bring the CO2 to the sequestration sink. Uh, You need to have the ships that go with it. You need to have those docking stations. You need to have the capture part at the the industrial site. Really, there is a whole new industry to be developed around that. And I wonder whether we should put uh, our energy, let's say, into that, or rather put the energy in decarbonization existing um, processes. But that's really, uh, let's say, a philosophical um, debate.
1: <laughs> I, I think another well, one question before we move on uh, to also kind of final reflections uh, uh, to, uh, to all of you. Um, European Commission just launched 98 questions uh, consultation on how the future rules of hydrogen should be, and uh, they actually uh, one of the one of the questions they they asked uh, just to test you a bit is you know should we just uh, make everything very simple for end users and have one huge uh, hydrogen backbone operator for all of Europe so you just kind of don't worry about the transport of high green hydrogen across Europe just one huge operator. Uh, that helps you to connect perhaps your steel projects or any other initiatives do you think it could be uh, helpful any re- any immediate reactions
4: uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure whether it should be one company but i think what would be helpful indeed is some coordination in the sense that uh, uh, as kate is saying uh, that, uh, the the import of green hydrogen or at least that's depending on where you are yeah, uh, but but the region where uh, it's quite efficient to to create green hydrogen might not be the same as the regions where they uh, could use it. Also, in, indeed, uh, on, on a European scale, uh, identify uh, what kind of renewables do we have and what are we going to do with it instead of individual basis That could make sense, indeed. And whether it should be one company, that's, that's more political discussions, I would say.
1: Karina, did you want uh, any observation on... Uh on, on what, what what's needed in terms of transportation and by the way European Commission also welcomes inputs from globally because the question they raised in the consultation will run till 18th of June so we all have time to reflect uh, they also said we realize it's an international market so we're going to need to get some of that hydrogen from outside Europe because you know thinking of your green steel description you need a lot of it so any reflection Karina from you what's uh, what's perhaps important uh, in terms of rule framework that we need in this uh, new world.
3: Yeah, I think uh, it's really a super important point because um, the transportation network is key uh, in in the overall rollout. I think I think if we if we look at uh, our existing network today, the natural gas network, we're very interlinked. It's throughout Europe, and if tomorrow you want to replace natural gas by hydrogen or any other form of let's say molecule. Um, uh, molecular fuel, fuel, we need to uh, find a way how to transport it. But I mean, there are a lot of plans already on the, the hydrogen backbone, uh, using existing infrastructure, reconnecting different uh, pipeline systems throughout different countries, et cetera. So there are already um, plans uh, that have been established by, for example, gas TSOs, et cetera. And so I think we really need to look at that. And in parallel to that though, I think one key uh, that we need to look at is certification. So today, when you look at the electricity systems, you have a guarantee of origin scheme um, that helps you to consume renewable electricity, even if the production has happened elsewhere. And uh, there are already initiatives that have have actually been pushed by the European Commission to establish a similar scheme for hydrogen in the EU. And I think this really needs to be rolled out and scaled up for different production routes uh, to make sure that we can have the same system as we have an electricity uh, system to consume hydrogen that is, for example, green at one point, but actually producing at a different one. And like this, we disconnect consumption from production and we can really enable a fast scale up. So I think that is really key.
2: Yeah, and I was just thinking about the certification. Um, it's actually critical. I, I also wonder whether it's going to start to, to be a bottleneck in in renewable resources and green hydrogen because, it's, it's about additionality. So the EU have made it clear that you have to demonstrate that your uh, renewable source that's powering your electrolyzer is additional to other renewable resources. There is um, some concepts around spatial correlation and temporal correlation. So your renewables profile needs to match your demand to your electrolyzer. So you know, important things, but, but makes the, um, makes that value chain a little bit more challenging to, to integrate when when you've got those very sort uh, of clear uh, laws or reg- regulations around wh- what power you can use in your electrolyzer.
1: Okay, so if we look forward, um, I would invite each of you now for uh, maximum one minute to give a bit of your elevator pitch uh, to what uh, the listeners should remember uh, when thinking about green hydrogen and uh, looking forward and thinking on the opportunity. So um, I, I suggest uh, uh, we start with Martin, then I will pass to Karina and then finally Kate. And after that, it will be a wrap. So Martijn, your one minute.
4: Yeah, I think um, one important takeaway is that we can never have enough renewables. So some discussions on what to do with uh, renewables. I think uh, given the challenge we have to to decarbonize heavy industry, it starts with having enough renewables. I think it's also uh, the other takeaway is that if you take the value chain approach, include the off-takers, then there's already much more possible than most of us think. There's a positive business case. Uh, But of course, a um, a regulatory framework of carbon pricing will only help to uh, scale up faster so that's also always more than welcome
3: for me one key takeaway is that um, if you build uh, industrial projects don't fear complexity because the more stakeholders you add the more complex it gets but i think adding the offtaker uh, especially the offtaker to those industrial projects can just bring added value reduce risk and make projects more bankable and uh, scale up faster and then I think another key takeaway for me is uh, how do we create, let's say, labels to make it easier for end customer to choose the right product to help industrials accelerate also those decarbonization of the projects they want or the products they want to produce. Thank you. Kate.
2: Yeah, I, I I echo what I've just heard. I think on on the on the, no, I categorise it into the up, upstream, midstream, and downstream actions. Sort of my all in gas heritage. Uh, Renewables upstream. We we need um, you know we need more renewables in the system, but we shouldn't detract from the decarbonisation of our grid. That needs to be a priority. Um, hydrogen is great, but uh, it, it shouldn't be a, a, a distraction from what 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 we should be focusing on. And then the end um, then on the other end, the downstream, the labelling. I absolutely agree with Karina. How, how do we make the choice easy for consumers? Um, and in the middle, it's it's this point that they raised around um, the off takers. And for me, a slightly different angle is just how how do you how do you remove the kind of commercial barriers in that value chain? I think uh, there's there's a carbon price which can help. But I think there's a lot of money out there that wants to invest in these projects. But there are some sort of commercial hurdles that the projects need to get through to i think create the right opportunities for for what is potentially a huge amount of investment available
1: so uh we heard today uh, there is some uh, real opportunity even though hydrogen started a long time ago it's uh, it's now actually starting to scale fast so the 2020s is the place to be for hydrogen we're also very much welcomed to hear that uh, off-takers are definitely the ones to talk first perhaps in some cases and also subsidies can be avoided and a sector of opportunities green steel but that's just the start and the uh, acceleration work that Karina and Martijn will be doing is uh, looking very much to bring the experience out to other sectors as well and uh, Kate made some really interesting observations comparing some of of some of the experience we have Uh, so thank you everybody for today Um, uh, we look forward to welcome you to other podcasts and I hope uh, our listeners will take the trouble on LinkedIn to reach out to Kate, Martijn and to Karina uh, and to ask them uh, further questions because this is just the start of the debate but also of the implementation thank you
0: thank you for listening to today's podcast Please hit the subscribe button to keep up to date with our latest podcast releases and hear more from Beringa and our energy innovators. If you have a question or a comment about the podcast, or you would like to learn more about Beringa and what we do in energy space, please email us at energypodcast at beringa.com. I will repeat energypodcast at beringa.com or visit our website, LinkedIn, Twitter, and the link to enter is provided in the podcast bio. Thank you for today.